Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're talking about education reform with probably one of the best people we could be talking to about. His name is John Marrow. He's the former education correspondent for PBS NewsHour, written numerous other books, including The Influence of Teachers, Declining by Degrees, and most importantly to this program, he's an illustrious alumni of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. John, welcome back to the EdCast. Thanks, Matt. Nice to be back. Appreciate it. So, John, uh, a little bit about what drew you to write this book. It's uh, an interesting framing, Addicted to Reform, a 12-step program to rescue public education. I love the title, I love the framing, and I love that you don't focus on the symptoms, hence the reform analogy. A little bit why you wrote this book. Well, uh, actually, you know, I spent 41 years uh, covering education for for PBS and then earlier uh, for NPR, and and I, I you know I, I liked just about everybody I interviewed and I loved the opportunity to be with teachers. But I, I, after a while, I began to realize all these well-meaning people were were really not changing things, and I, I I started thinking more and more about it. And when I began blogging, I was forced to think about you know forced to think about what do I really what do I really feel. Uh, and and I, I realized that we, we have been spinning our wheels by basically attacking the symptoms of a problem and not addressing the real problem. And we became addicted to this process because we, we declare a campaign to, let's say, raise graduation rates. Um, and we go, everyone will work very hard to raise graduation rates. And after a while, the graduation rates would go up, and people would say, isn't this wonderful? And, of course, they'd say, well, we aren't there yet, but this is terrific. And they'd feel great. They'd get high on this uh, reform. Well, but if you dig dig into it, which, which we did a number of times, you find that um, they raise graduation rates. Sometimes they'd raise graduation rates by... You know, they 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 uh, look at Matt and John and say, you know, Matt and John need some help in basic math, and they'd give us the help, and we'd pass the test, and we'd graduate, and that'd be terrific. But many times, the graduation rate would go up because of really basically phony and dishonest uh, uh, ta- tactics. Um, Florida, some school districts in Florida, um, recommended that low-performing kids uh, leave school to go get a GED. Well, they, they would just point them in the direction of the GED program. They wouldn't make sure they went there. But when those kids left school, the graduation rate would go up because they weren't, uh, they weren't dropouts, so the graduation rate would go up. The kids would just disappear. Um, other districts employed uh, what's called credit recovery. And, <laughs> uh, you know, a kid is failing English, goes and spends a week in a classroom in front of a computer, and voila, gets credit for a semester of English. Graduation rate goes up. So and we got addicted to that. And the more I thought about it, actually I got angry. We, this, is, this is really harming, harming our kids. It's harming our country. And so that's the reason the book. It's not, a, it's not an angry book. It's, a very, it's actually a very positive book about what we can do. But I, I also feel that we have to do something. John, what I really like about the book is is there's a sort of sub-thread throughout called Memory Lane, which kind of talks a little bit about 
all of the moments you've had over the years that are personal to you as you've sort of come up with these uh, with these 12 step program, a little bit about your specific unique role to write this book as a former journalist, as, as someone who has talked to so many of these quote unquote well-meaning people over your entire career. I feel like you have one of the most unique perspectives currently in the history of American education that can provide a real interesting wide swath approach and, and perspective on these things, having not just come from uh, the classroom, having not just come from the policy world. You've sort of seen it all. Well, you're nice to say that. Thank you, Matt. I, you know, those memory lane segments were so much fun to write because they brought back some of the truly wonderful, wonderful kids and wonderful teachers uh, that I that I met over the 41 years. Um, I mean, the, the best people in the world work in education. There's no question about that. Um, and and so you know, it was just a privilege for me to spend 41 years with them. Now, John, your, your career, 41 years in education reporting, um, kind of came to a close as th there was giant tumult and change in, the, uh, in American politics as we know it. And, and I know you've been working on this book uh, and you've been working on the book for several years. Um, you, you were not expecting the election results that you thought and, and were in a very different climate than what you were anticipating, what many Americans were anticipating with Donald Trump as president, with Betsy DeVos as secretary of education. How has that affected both how you perceive this book, the importance of this book now, and then how you're talking about the book and what you hope, say, federal officials or people in this current administration um, would react to this book? Well, that's a great question, Matt. I, um, the book does, uh, you know, the, the book is not about Hillary, um, but you're correct. I, uh, as I was writing, I was thinking that um, if Hillary won, it would be the same old, same old battle between um, the, the the people who are addicted to reform, that um, she would have continued those policies, and the progressives would have had to fight uh, harder. But the the election of Trump and the selection of DeVos. Uh, put it in, in, in very clear relief that um, uh, the choices Americans have now, um, DeVos represents a, a radical, or actually yeah, a, a radical change, um, and it forces the, the people who supported, say, the Obama uh, and George W. Bush uh, reform effort it pushes them into a difficult spot. I mean, she says she wants charter schools, but she's also cutting money or wants to cut money for publication, public education generally. And some of that money, of course, goes to charter schools. So they're in a tough spot. I think it's an easier place for people like me who believe um, that we need, we need major change. I mean, the, the argument of the book, uh, Matt, is that we we have a system that sorts right now when when a kid starts school the system looks at the kid and says how smart are you how smart are you and puts you in some category and what we need are schools which look at a kid and says how are you smart how are you smart and then react and that which of course is what parents do with their own children but we can do that in our schools um 
And uh, it, it, it is being done in hundreds of schools. Unfortunately, we have 100,000 schools. Um, it's certainly being done in classrooms everywhere. Um, so the, 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 election, the election of Trump, uh, in a way, I mean, if you, you, you read the, the introduction to the book, is that that's a, it's almost it's an inevitable result of a sorting system because what happens is, you know, if every every four kids who goes go into a school today, the system sorts those four, and only one of the four gets into a, uh, the, the sort of upper reaches where they're challenged. The other three are eventually just become numbers because the system wants them to pass a test. And those kids, a lot of those kids resent school. Um, they go to school because they can be with their buddies, or they go to school to be on a team or in the play. Or, uh, but, but uh, for an awful lot of young people today and 20 years ago and 50 years ago, school was not a positive experience. Um, it, it can be a positive. You know, learning is great fun. Right. Yeah. And we sort of, I think, in so many ways, lost that sort of joy in learning. And, and what I like about your book, John, is you do it's very easy to go negative uh, around education reform. Even just mention the word ed reform, DeVos, Trump, education, and, and people you know, can, can really be polarized. But you really do keep it positive, and you are trying to bring, it, bring people together in this book with, the, with this sort of prescription. And there's three, there's three words that um, you are focused on, and, and the three words are help, grow, and adult. What do those words mean in terms of bringing people together, John? Well, uh, thank you very much for bringing that up. The, I mean, I, we, we're, we're polarized awfully and terribly in this country now, but we think we could agree that the function of school is to help grow adults. And if you take those words apart, help means that it's a, it's a joint effort. You're not in this alone. Your schools are helping. Parents, of course, are the primary educators. Growing, that's a process. And what that means, you can't just take one test and say, oh, okay, we know everything we need to know. We need to know about math. Um, growing, and sometimes that's two steps forward, two steps back. The third word, adults, is the one we need to have a conversation about. What do we want our kids to be able to do and to do as adults? But do we want them just to be able to pass tests, fill in bubbles? Um, of course not. So, um, you know, I, I do, <laughs> I, I, I fall back, um, you know, there's not a lot in this book that's original. I mean, I fall back on the wisdom of um, people much smarter than I, including Aristotle, who said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. So if we're growing adults and we want the adults to be able to work with other people, then they should do that in school. If we want the children to be adults who can write clearly, they should do that in school. Read well, they should, re and so on. So, I mean, that's the conversation we could have without yelling at each other. What do we mean by being an adult? So, I mean, that is, the, you, you've, you've identified the core of the book. I mean, that, that is where we, can, where we can have a conversation without yelling at each other. Yeah, and John, I love that you brought up one of the great teachers of the world in history, Aristotle. I would group you in with him as well. John, a little bit about the uh, audience of this book. 
obviously there's a lot of people who can read it for enjoyment, for information, but I, I, what we love on the EdCast and here at the Ed School is, you know, hopefully reading uh, for impact, reading to learn so change and transformation can happen. And I think there's just so many good ideas in here, well-prescribed ideas. Um, who do you hope will read this book? And then I guess the follow-up is what do you hope they do with what they've learned in their sort of day-to-day probably as non-policymakers, probably as people who aren't governors or secretaries of education. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's one little segment in the book where I made up a game where you where people would sit around a table and, and write down a word that they think is ma- matters when it comes to education. I mean, my, I, of course, hope a lot of people will read the book, um, um, not, not just... Um, certainly not just parents. I mean, one of the of the twelve steps um, is embrace outsiders enthusiastically. Um, you know, Seventy-five to eighty percent of households do not have school-aged children. Um, schools need so-called outsiders, and and I I have a couple of uh, of I, I think terrific examples of of what kids can do. Um, you know the best the best argument for public schools, Matt, are, are the kids. So what I think schools should do is figure out ways uh, to get the kids to interact with those so-called outsiders. So um, there, there's one one example I go into some detail about about where kids in teams kids should you know, kids should always work in teams, um, and they can go to just one block and ask. Uh, people, you know, the guy who runs the deli, the woman who has the dress shop, uh, the doorman in the apartment, the local cop, that ask each of them to recite some lines from a poem and film them. Now, uh, so let's we'll just say it's uh, uh, the, to be or not to be, uh, the soliloquy from Hamlet. Um, and you, the kids would, you can use your smartphone, just make sure the sound is good, and have the have each of these people look into the camera, look into the lens, and recite, uh, say, a couplet. Now, um, and then you splice them together, so you have a you have a production where twelve or thirteen people are reciting to be or not to be. That is the question: whether it is not, and so on. Um, now, think about what is going on there. Is first of all, the the, the criterion is these readers cannot have kids in school. That's all. That's the only criterion. Um, but the kids then have to say to this, the guy who owns the deli, they have to get a good performance out of him. Now, you can't just let him say it, mumble it, and then say, that's fine. They have to be able to tell that deli guy who's 25 years older than they are that that wasn't good enough. And now that's a real skill. You, you can't just say, hey, that sucked. You have to say, that was pretty good. I, you know, maybe if you did, and so they're learning another skill set. Um, they have to frame each one correctly. They have, I mean, there's a whole set of, of learning, of skill learning that's going on. And then they put that up on the website. And so everybody who goes into the deli, the guy who said, hey, did you see what they're doing at the school? Did you see me on the video? And he'd show it. Did you know they did stuff like that in school? Isn't that, well, I'd like to be a kid again. And that's how you build support for public education. But you also are those kids, those seventh graders, are learning skills that 
are going to do them very well as adults. And they're the kind of kids you and I are going to hire. Right. Yeah, that sort of notion of challenge and support, making learning fun, and, and, and just sort of reframing how people look at education. John, the, the final couple questions here are, are kind of personal, personal for me and personal for you. Um, your dedication to the book is for, you, you write, for my grandchildren and yours. Um, I don't have any grandchildren, but I just had a child uh, about five months ago. So, so thank you. So much of this, much of this book becomes increasingly more important to me as the parent of a child. And I, and I love in terms of the steps that you provide. Step six, which is start early. The metaphor that you use about early childhood in the highway system. Can you just share a little bit more about how you frame early childhood in the highway system? That really resonated with me. When Eisenhower built the interstate system, Matt, uh, he didn't build two, one for poor cars, poor people's cars, and one for rich people's cars. He built one system that was good enough for, the, for all cars. And, and we should say that about our schools and about our preschools. Let's build one that's terrific um, and then have them be open for everyone. And if you create programs for poor people, they almost always become poor programs. You know, but I, I actually had a lot of fun with that idea that um, about who should run schools. Because if you put um, if you put the swimming coach in charge of school, um, they <laughs> they wouldn't be able to say, you know, I taught the kids to swim. I'm sorry, three of them are lying at the bottom of the pool. Um, the the, uh, the the school should be designed to ensure that as many students as possible succeed. Um, when, when, when highway engineers design highways, they don't build them one inch wider than the car. They build them four or five feet wider than the car, the lanes, to, so that because they understand that, kids, that, that cars waver a little. You, uh, you, you build in possibilities of, of error because you want people to get to their destination. Um, schools too often are a kind of gotcha. Huh? You hit the wall, and sorry, you're out. And we, we can't do that. We need to figure out ways so that you know, we have schools that look at each kid and say, how is this child intelligent? What does this child care about? Let's, let's use that kid's interests to make sure that she also learns to write, to work with others, to speak persuasively, to work with numbers, and let's use her interest in uh, aeronautics, and let's have her work with some other kids. I mean, we can do that, Matt. Uh, and, and, as, and as I point out in the book, there are places that it's happening. Um, so you ask me who I want to read it. Well, obviously, I'd like a lot, of, a lot of people to read it. I'd like people to talk about the ideas. I don't care if I get credit for the ideas. I just like them to say, look, we can't just keep changing the superficial stuff. You can't keep treating a fever by uh, taking the kid's temperature. What I, what I love about your writing and just having interacted with you over the years is you are a master communicator. You can take all of the, the ways in which we need to be talking about education reform and you can create 
such great meaning around what it is to to talk about it using metaphor, using analogy, uh, using very just a uh, conversational tone, which I think is really important for not just the wonks at the top or the experts to understand what's going on, but but to really make it digestible to all. And and I guess I'd be remiss in my final question if I didn't say, John. My assumption is that you learned this all at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, right? <laughs> I you know. You're joking, but in fact, you're not really exaggerating that. I mean, I owe so much to the Harvard Graduate School of Education. One of the things that was fun was, was it, writing the acknowledgments. So I figured, I mean, now this may be my last book. Um, so I thought, well, let me, let me go through and thank the different folks. And it's at the end of the book. Um, and the number of names from the Harvard Graduate School of Education, that's the biggest list. Um, except, of course, my own colleagues, you know, at NPR and PBS. But um, so many people at, at, at the Ed School uh, it, it changed my life. And as I think you know, I met my wife at um, at Harvard. So um, I'm in I'm in debt forever. Yeah, John. That's another thing that we share. Um, I too met my wife at the Ed School. We were both master's students seven years ago. So uh, I'm, I, I, I feel like I'm in good company with you. The, the name of the book is Addicted to Reform, a 12-step program to rescue public education, available wherever fine books are sold and on our website. There should be a link. John Merrow, it is always uh, a beyond a pleasure and joy to chat with you. Thank you, and I do hope this is not your last book. Uh, thank you very much, Matt. A great pleasure. We'll talk again, I hope. And congratulations on your new child. Thank you. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.